facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to the program on this Friday. It is June the 2nd, first Friday of this month. I'm so happy to be talking to you. 888-914-9149. We're going to kick off the weekend in style. You can also email the show. Kale at relevantradio.com, C A L E at relevantradio.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C A L E Clark with an E. Got an incredible show coming up the week that was. Producer Jim has spun that up for you. We're going to unwind that later in the program. So much to talk about. I got an incredible story. Now, yesterday, yesterday was my 50th birthday. I, I, I struggled. Should I tell you how old I am? They say it's not polite to ask people. Well, for guys, it doesn't really matter because we improve with age like a fine wine. And I've, you know, or we just maybe start whining a little bit more. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. This one was hitting me differently. Yesterday was my birthday, and it was the Feast of St. Justin Martyr as well, who's the patron saint of apologists, people who explain and defend the faith. So I ask him to pray for me a lot, that I might do a better job of that going forward and, and uh do this justice and i'm just so thankful for so many things this one's hitting me different though I, like i just started to say a moment ago when i turned 40 that was one thing but the half century mark well i just pray that the the next 50 years uh, god willing if i get that many are, are a lot holier than the first 50 but i'm just so thankful for so many things and so thankful for all of you for relevant radio and if you have wisdom at what i should be thinking about what i should be doing at the 50 year mark I'd love to hear from you. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, and it was really amazing. Uh, hearing uh, went to I had a nice dinner with my family last night. It was really great. We went to a steakhouse, and that's the way to do it for sure. Grab a steak on your birthday, and then we went to mass. I couldn't have asked for a better night. Um, watched the NBA finals. That was just kind of my tried to get my family to watch it with me. That lasted for about five minutes, and uh, but it was, it was really great to hear the gospel reading about blind Bartimaeus that I may see, Lord, that I may see. What do you want that I may see? And we're going to be talking about that later in the program. And I'm, I'm thankful for so many things in my life, not least of which is my lovely wife, Patricia, who sent me this article. And speaking about that I might, may see, this is a really poignant article that she sent me about a family that has three children that are destined to lose their eyesight and what this family decided to do about it. So, by the way, again, if you have articles for me for the show that you think I'd, I'd like to talk about, really intriguing, faith, facts, and fun, you know what the show is all about, you can send them to me, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. So, Patricia sent me this article, and it was just uh, really moving. It was from Yahoo, actually, and uh, it was written by Carla Renich. And it was about a family in Quebec, a family of six, uh, that traveled three continents in the past year. Now, why would they do this? They wanted to create some memories for their children. And that's for a very, very good reason. And this couple, their names are Edith LeMay, who's 44 years old, and her husband, Sebastian Pelletier, who's 45. And they were recently, by the way, they were on Good Morning America the other day talking about this. And they have four children. Three of those children have been diagnosed with a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And I don't know if you've heard of this condition before, if you know somebody who has it, or maybe you have it, but it's a disease that has no cure right now. We have to pray for a cure to be found, but it's a disease that will progressively cause 
blindness or virtual blindness over time. And so uh, three of their kids have this condition. The other one does not. And we'll, we'll talk about why in just a second. But they have a daughter named Mia, who's 11 years old, a son named Colin, who is seven, and a son named Laurent, who's five. And they were all diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa in 2018. Uh, and their mom, Edith LeMay, said that, quote, you go through all the phases. And by the phases, she's talking about the phases of grief. She says, you go through all the phases. You're angry and you think it's not fair. Why me? What have I done to deserve that? There's a lot of sadness also, she says, for your family and for your kids. And eventually you just accept that it's not the end of the world. It's just a different path for them in life. So the stage of anger, first of all, I guess there's denial, although she couldn't really deny what the doctors had said, but there's anger, there's sadness, and then finally there is acceptance. And so what exactly is this, by the way, retinitis pigmentosa? Well, it's a genetic disease. It's a genetic retinal disease that, again, like I said, has no cure at the moment. And how it affects the eye is that it damages light-sensitive cells, which are called the photoreceptors. And what they do is they absorb light, and they, they're able to translate that light into a signal that's then interpreted by the brain. But when you have this disorder, retinitis pigmentosa, the photoreceptors eventually start to die off. And here's what happens. Essentially, what goes first is your peripheral vision. You start to notice your field of vision kind of narrowing a bit. Your night vision then goes. And then eventually you get tunnel vision where you can only see a little bit in the middle of your visual field. And then eventually that too, your central vision also will be lost. And so the person who has this condition will eventually have either complete blindness or very close to it. And how long does it take? It depends on the person. And uh, this couple, their eldest daughter, Mia, was the first to be diagnosed back in 2018. And she was seven years old at the time. She was starting to bump into things and she couldn't really see well at night. And so they got her tested and then they tested all the children as well as the parents. And so three of the four kids um, have it, one does not. And the three of the kids that do have the disease, retinitis pigmentosa, they've all lost their night vision at this point. And they're expected to be totally blind by the time they hit middle age. So they, they, they can't, when they go outside in the dark, they have to use flashlights, they have to hold hands. And the re, the, what, what essentially happened here, like I said, this is a genetic condition. Uh, Edith LeMay and her husband, Sebastian Pelletier, they both have, they're both carriers of a recessive gene. It's a mutated gene that's called PDE6B. And they, they didn't know that they had this. And there's a one in four chance that when the parents have this, that they'll pass it on to their, to their child. And that happened with three out of their four children. And they were absolutely crushed when they, when they as you would imagine, when they, when they found out this news. And so Edith LeMay said one of the hardest things for her to do, one of the hardest things for her to think about was whether or not they should tell their kids about it. Because they were getting conflicting information from people, as, as, you, as you might imagine. Some people were saying, don't tell the kids, don't, don't even talk about it until their, their vision starts to get worse, and then you can let them know. Don't worry them about it. You don't want them thinking about this for years that they're eventually going to go blind. But then other people were, were saying, no, you should actually try to prepare them for what's going to happen, try to tell them. 
And so she didn't know quite what to do. But then she said this, and this is uh, Edith LeMay talking, the mom. She said, quote, knowing my daughter, I decided that it was best for her to know right away. I didn't want to hide anything from her. In fact, I told her in a matter-of-fact manner that you will probably be blind once you're an adult. And she thought about it for a moment, and then she just said, oh, well, that's not fun. And that was the extent of her reaction, end of quote. So that was a bit of a surprising reaction for, for the mom that her daughter really didn't freak out when, when, when she heard this news. And Edith said that after that, she saw her daughter a couple times trying to get from one room to the other with her eyes closed. It's almost as if she was practicing uh, for what was going to happen. And she said, quote, I think you project your own fear into your child. I was scared that she would be scared, that she will be sad and angry because I was sad and angry, end of quote. And so I, I think a couple things there. Number, number one, I, you know your own child best. And, and from a parenting perspective, I think that she, she did the right thing. She sort of took her own child's personality into account. And is she going to be able to handle this? And she actually handled it really well. What about other children? Well, Laurent, who's five years old, he only began asking questions about his eyesight about a month ago. And Edith said, he just looked at me and asked me, what does it mean to be blind? And so I just told him, it's like keeping your eyes closed all the time. End of quote. So the parents decided that they would try to enroll their children into Braille lessons. Uh, but they couldn't even do that because the specialist told them, they're not going to be able to learn Braille. Why not? Well, because they, they can still see. They, they, they still have so much dependence on, on their eyesight. It's not actually going to work. It's not going to take. So they're going to have to do this later when their vision starts to deteriorate. So what, what the specialist told uh, Edith LeMay was just do this for your kids. Just put as many images in their head as you possibly can. So, for example... You can show them images, pictures of elephants or giraffes, things like that, so that once they are blind, they'll be able to have this mental image that they can refer to, uh, sort of in, the, in their, their brain's files that they can think about. And Edith said, for me, that's when it actually clicked. That's when I thought to myself, well, hang on here. Instead of showing them pictures of elephants and giraffes, why don't we actually go see them in real life? Why don't we fill their minds with real images? So... Her husband, Sebastian, and Edith, they just decided to go all in. Let's quit our jobs, and we will show the kids the world while they can still see it and how beautiful the world really is. So in March of 2022, they started to travel the world. Uh, Edith LeMay works in healthcare logistics, and her husband, Sebastian Pelletier, uh, he works in finance. They both quit their jobs. And I guess they, they were able to uh, pull together the resources to do this. But they decided to show their kids the world. And I'll post an article. I'll post a link to this article in the show notes. You can see some of the pictures that the family took. Uh, they, they did see some giraffes and some just wild stuff. They first flew into Namibia. And they, that's where they started their year-long adventure. And then they eventually went to Zanzibar. They went to Thailand. They went to Nepal. They went to 10 other countries. And they saw elephants, giraffes, lemurs, everything. And, and they just really had a, a very incredible, enriching experience. And they didn't stay at hotels. They didn't kind of, they, they kind of decided to try to get as close to the local culture as possible. Sometimes they would actually even sleep in nature. They, they'd camp outside. They would live with local families. 
And Edith said, quote, there's frustration sometimes. It can be hot. We can be hungry. We can be tired. So my kids need to adopt all the time. And I hope that that's what they get from the trip. That's going to help them to become a little more resilient in life. The last thing we want them to get from this trip is, is simply this. We want them to realize how lucky they are, end of quote. Because they did have to, to go to some places where there's a lot of abject poverty and people really suffering. And it helped them to understand that, yeah, they, they've got this condition. Uh, three of the four kids are going to go blind. Uh, their life will be more difficult than, than, than this for a lot of people, but they still have so much to be grateful for. I think that's an incredible lesson that these parents uh, gave their kids. It's really moving. And they're going to have another trip this summer. They're going to go to Ecuador, maybe Colombia. And, and that's what they're going to do. And I just think it's just a, a beautiful thing that they were able to do uh, for their kids. And, and let's pray that there will be uh, one day a cure for RP, for retinitis pigmentosa. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on relevant radio well all this kind of made me think in terms of spiritual sight uh, we have of course the the eyes of the soul we have we have to recognize the truth spiritually we have to learn how to see with our inner eye if you will and that of course is where blind bart comes in blind bartimaeus so when we come back going to talk a little bit about that and what it has to do with our lives today triple eight nine one four nine one four nine it's kale clark show on relevant radio be right back On the Kale Clark Show on this Friday, 888-914-9149. Let's go to the phones right now. Frank is in Philadelphia. Hi, Frank. Frank, you still there? Can you hear me? I sure can. Yeah, you're on the air now. Yeah, hi, Kale. I'm just like you and your listeners now. Um, well, a couple things. One, there's not a lot of research. I have RP, nice primatosis. I was diagnosed in 2000. Um, there's not a lot of research done with mm. RP because it's a rare, very rare, like macro generation. There's a lot in that, but there's also um, um, there's no guarantee you're gonna go blind. There's 200. In my last I knew about 210 different versions of retinitis pigmentosa. Like I was told in the beginning, I don't have the kind where you go completely blind. Okay. But mm-hmm. but 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 after I had cataract surgery in 2016 and something happened, my vision went downhill real quick. Where pretty much mm. all I see is light. And maybe if I'm lucky, some shadows. So yeah, I, I'm 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 lost or losing my vision. Okay. Um, as far as Braille goes, I got my mutation also causes other problems. I got neuropathy. They can't. I keep feeling my fingers, so I can't oh, learn Braille or other things where you have things to read. I can't use it. I can't perform certain tasks. But um, it's 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 um, I get upset many days. It's a horrible mm. disease because you're seeing one day and it's gradual loss of your vision. Mm. And um. I'm a relevant radio junkie. <laughs> I've been a relevant radio from 
John Morales to 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 you now. Then I wow. usually go downstairs and listen to TV. Um, but uh, yeah, um, for anyone who's diagnosed with it, talk to your doctor. The only thing out there right now, there are some medications, but your eyes can be past a certain point. It's pretty okay. much just stem cells right now, and I, I'm still waiting for that stem cells mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, well, let, 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 thank you very much, Frank, and God, God bless you. you you've certainly um, been given a, a couple of crosses to carry there, and, and we're going to ask our listeners to pray for you. And Frank is uh, someone who suffers from that disease that we talked about before the break, retinitis, uh, retinitis pigmentosa, rather. And I mentioned this uh, family from Quebec with four kids, three of the four kids uh, have this uh, condition, have this disease, and they, they're expected to go blind by, by, by middle age, and we'll see what happens. Maybe they won't. As Frank says, not everybody does. Uh, but their parents wanted, to, wanted them to see the world and experience uh, reality as best they could visually before they lost their eyesight. So they, they took a year off and, and traveled the world. They're going to try to do the same this summer. And it just kind of made me think, this whole thing made me think about uh, the gospel from yesterday with Bartimaeus and Jesus restored his sight, and, and this is what it says. This is Mark chapter 10 of the gospel from yesterday. As Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up. Jesus is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. And I just think this is such a, a beautiful gospel, and especially because yesterday it would occur on the feast day of St. Justin Martyr. And I just kind of thought about this idea of an opportunity, the, the opportunity that, that comes maybe once in a lifetime. And for Bartimaeus, it was the chance to meet Jesus and the chance to be cured. And for St. Justin Martyr, he also had this kind of a divine appointment. And St. Paul said in one of his letters that we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. Uh, That's incredible. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world to belong to Christ, to be part of the church. And and if that's true, you know, as one preacher said, there, there are certain moments. If we've been chosen before the foundation of the earth, there are also certain moments in our life that have also been chosen, that have been set aside for these divine appointments. And maybe it's an opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a moment of joy. Maybe it's a moment of sadness or sorrow, whatever it may be. It's a moment where, where God speaks to us very, very clearly. And I I thought about St. Justin Martyr because he, he had, he was a a searcher after wisdom and truth. And obviously he was studying philosophy and he met this mysterious old man on a beach and, and this old man was a Christian, told him about the true philosophy, the philosophy of Jesus, wisdom incarnate. And it changed Justin's life. And of course, he becomes this great apologist, this defender of the faith, this teacher of the faith, and becomes a martyr. So much, he's so much identified with his martyrdom that it essentially becomes his last name. He's known as St. Justin Martyr, St. Justin the Martyr. And 
for Bartimaeus, of course, was that moment when he met Christ and, and, and how crucial that was for his spiritual insight. And, and what I love about Bartimaeus is just his his boldness. He doesn't really care what the people around him think. I think everyone wanted him to just be quiet. Jesus has places to go. He's a busy guy. He doesn't have time for you. But he does. He has time for everyone. The, the so-called little people. There are no little people with God. He just starts shouting out. He knows Jesus is passing by. And he's got a lot. Of, even though he's blind, he's got incredible spiritual insight. He sees very clearly spiritually. He says, Son of David. And that, that's really a, a messianic title. Son of David, Jesus, have pity on me. Have mercy on me. And it's just incredible. He, he just takes the opportunity. And it's important for us, too, I think. We've got to seize these moments in our lives with God when, when we have them. And the other thing we have to do is, is try to help other people to seize those moments as well, because really our calling to be saints is not just for our own holiness. We've also got to help other people to become saints. And so we've got to make sure that if there are these special moments that have been set aside for from all eternity for us to, to meet with God and, and maybe have this moment of clarity in our, in our lives. We've got to help other people to, to recognize that as well. And, and sometimes it is only a moment that we have because I find with people, it's a little bit like the ocean tides coming in and out. There are times when people are open to God. There are times when people are, are asking questions. Maybe it's because of some crisis that's going on in their life. Maybe it's because of a bad medical diagnosis. Maybe it's because they've lost a job or, the death of a relationship or the physical death of a loved one, but they're, they're open to hearing about Jesus Christ, but then the moment will pass and then they just kind of go back to their own ways, like the tide going out. And so I think it's really important to kind of seize the moment in the spiritual life, whether it's our own life or the life of a friend, somebody else. And so I, I just really, I just, I just really think that Bartimaeus is a great example because he, he will not be denied any, any cares. He's passionate. He's not willing to just sort of settle for the status quo. He's not indifferent. And a, a lot of the people around him just kind of wanted him to be quiet. They, they kind of wanted him to stay in the background and, and leave Jesus alone. But all of those people, we have no idea who they were, who were there following Jesus that day. But Bartimaeus is the guy that we remember, the son of Timaeus, blind Bart, you know, who eventually got his sight back. He is the guy that we're still talking about 20 centuries later because he took the opportunity. He, he seized the opportunity, and he would not be denied. And I think that's what we have to do when we, when we pray. We have to understand that Jesus can always hear us. And, and maybe Jesus did hear him even the first time he started calling out to him. But he wanted, we don't know. We'll have to ask Jesus, I guess. You know? But maybe, maybe Jesus wanted to see how persistent he was going to be. And, and he kept it up. He, he kept making himself heard. And sometimes we have to, to keep praying about things. And sometimes we, we want to give up in prayer. And Jesus told a lot of parables about the need to persevere in prayer. The parable of the unjust judge. And He's just a wicked guy, but but this widow keeps bugging him, and he finally just gives her what she wants because he wants to get rid of her. Well, God is not like that because God actually cares about us, and so He says, "Don't give up and don't don't tire in our prayer." And so we we've got to kind of do what Bartimaeus did and, and just keep it up, and keep going. And 
when when Jesus says, "Okay, well, tell them to come over here," and now now they're like, "Oh, okay, Jesus." Now now they're now they want Bartimaeus to see to see Jesus. So they say, "Get up, take courage. He's calling you." And and we do need we do need encouragement sometimes in the spiritual life. Saint Paul says, "You've got to constantly encourage one another while we still can." And that's what that's what eventually these people do. They they say, "Get up. He's listening to you. He's going to talk to you." So he jumps up throws off his cloak, the coins go flying, doesn't matter anymore. All, all the stuff he's been carrying, whether it's his cloak, his, his money, as, as meager as it might be, it just, he just leaves it on the wayside. And, and maybe there's a lesson in that for us as well, the, the, the coins. And a lot of us are maybe attached to some of these things. We're thinking so much about it. Uh, so many people have become slaves to money. And Bartimaeus just kind of flings it away and, and, and goes over to Jesus. And it's a little bit like his old life is, that's a symbol of his old life. It's going to just be on the side of the road. He, he's got something new here. And Jesus, of course, does heal him. He gives him a sight. He says, what do you want? I want to see. I want to see. And so he gives him uh, his sight back. And immediately it says that he starts following Jesus on the way. He becomes a disciple. He doesn't just receive the healing and say thank you very much and go back to whatever it was he wanted to do. But he started following Jesus on the way. He really became a disciple. And Jesus, of course, is going to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. And so it's almost like he's following him on that pathway, the pathway of the cross. And so I, I just love this guy because he, he never gave up. He never got put off by people around him who are saying, please be quiet. Uh, the contempt, if you will, of others. And, and, and sometimes, especially in this modern culture in which we find ourselves, there, there is a lot of contempt being thrown at us for following Jesus. There is a lot of contempt thrown at the church. And we've got we've to just keep following Jesus and keep our eyes on him and, and not let that stuff uh, detract us from what he wants to do with our own lives and what he wants us to, to, to help other people to do, which is find find Christ and, and recover our spiritual sight because really we're, we're all blind in so many ways. Uh, we're, we're spiritually blind. There's things that we're not aware of. We think that we know what's going on, but we really don't. Um, we have a lot of pride. We, we are blinded to our own faults and the faults of, of other people, um, situations. We just, so it's important for us to be to be humble and just ask God, you know, that I may see. <laughs> Domine ut vidium, as it says in Latin. That's where we get the word video from, you know, that we might see, that it might be a clear picture. And so that's what we need to do. We need to be able to see. We need to help other people to see the truth about Christ. We need to be able to see him face to face, as Bartimaeus did. I think some, when, we, when we look at... At the truth of the Catholic Church, that's where we see Christ and his teachings very, very clearly. And again, we live in this skeptical society. There are, there are a lot of haters, a lot of detractors. And I think one of the best things that we can do for people, especially in light of, uh, of some of these modern controversies which we're facing, if you could just simply explain the Catholic position on a given issue clearly, You've done people a great favor, even if they don't believe it, even if they don't buy into it, even if they don't convert. Maybe not now. Maybe they will later. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a lot of different people watering the seed for it to, to germinate. But just to be able to explain the Catholic position about certain moral issues is, 
is a job well done, I think, in, in today's culture. And also just to provide a positive, wholesome, attractive example of, of someone who's trying to live it out. And are you perfect? No, but but at least you're, 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 you're trying to live it out with joy. And I think that's, that's really important. So we got to learn to see, we've got to learn to see better. And, and one of the things that we try to do on relevant radio is learn our faith better. That's why we have shows like the faith explained. So we can try to learn it and share it with others. But I think it's also important to try to try to go to spiritual direction for, for yourself. And it's not always possible. Um, we have a show on relevant radio called the inner life, which is all about spiritual direction. And if that's all you can do, call into the inner life, do it by all means, do it. But if you can try to try to get a spiritual coach of your own, we have doctors for our bodies. We have coaches and trainers for different activities, whether you have a tennis coach or whatever the case may be a golf coach. I probably need one of those. If Tiger Woods has a golf coach, we probably need a coach in the spiritual life. And maybe he needs a coach in the spiritual life too, but but we, we do need that. We need, we need a coach for the soul. We need a doctor for the soul so that we might see. Because it's like trying to treat yourself for a physical ailment. Um, if you play Dr. Google and start looking up websites, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Because you're just not an expert. And, and you need an objective set of eyes to, to look at the situation and, and see the problem. And that, that can really help. And it certainly, it certainly does. And the, and the great thing about, about spiritual direction, spiritual coaching is that it, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful investment. Even St. Paul talks about this. He, he says physical training is of some value and it is of some value. Of course, we need to be healthy and we need to try to be there for our friends and, and family and for as long as we can, so we can serve God better, take care of our health, take care of the bodies he's given us. But ultimately our bodies will die. Uh, but St. Paul says spiritual training benefits us in this life and in the life to come. Because we're going to get very cool, very fit resurrection bodies eventually uh, on the last day. And and what's our soul going to be like? How healthy is our soul going to be that it's going to live in that resurrection body for all eternity? And so we really need both. We really need both. So I don't know. It's just what, what that made me think about that gospel yesterday that that Bartimaeus had that boldness to take that opportunity to seize the day, carpe diem, just like that family said, okay, well, we've got our sight now, you know, the kids are going to lose it, but we're going to seize the opportunity to show them the world, to show them the beautiful world that God has created. And Bartimaeus didn't have that physical sight, but he had that spiritual insight. He knew who Jesus was and he knew who to go for, for help. And he did, he took the opportunity. He got way more than he bargained for. He was able to follow Jesus, and he was able to see him face to face, following Jesus on the way. And I just, I just love that. So, and then the last thing, just uh, before we, I, I'm kind of, kind of, uh, kind of preaching here, kind of a fervorino, if you will. But um, I, again, this element of detachment, I think, is really, really important. And uh, on our sister program, the Faith Explained, I'm going through. The Holy Spirit, a beginner's guide, and uh, I need to get to know the Holy Spirit better, and you probably do as well. And uh, Father Jacques Philippe has written an incredible book called "In the School of the Holy Spirit," and he talks a lot about detachment. It's really one of the preconditions for being in touch with the Spirit, hearing from the Spirit, because a lot of people have their own ideas about how how life should go and what they want. But you've got to be detached, just like Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, the coins, left it all behind. 
Father Jacques Philippe said that we really can't receive the motions of the Holy Spirit if we're attached to our possessions, our ideas, our point of view. To allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God, we need great compliance and adaptability. And we can acquire these little by little by practicing detachment. End of quote. So how do we do that? Well, it's it's just not hanging on to things. It's not clinging either to material things or effective things, even even emotions that we might have, even even unhealthy spiritual attachments. And so we, we've we've got to make sure that there's nothing in our life that that we're holding on so tightly. If there if there's a thing, if there's a habit, if there's a relationship or or a personal plan for our lives that conflicts with what God wants, if we're not willing to let it go, that's a problem. And so he he gives a quote in his book, which I thought was really uh really powerful and thought provoking. It's from a 16th century Franciscan named John de Bania. John de Bania. And this is what he said. He said, quote, Let your will always be ready for anything that happens, and your affections, your affections perfectly disengaged. Want no thing more than another. But if you do, let it be in such a manner that if not that thing, but the contrary were to happen, you would receive no upset but equal satisfaction. True liberty is to adhere to nothing, to have no dependence, no bias. God does not perform his wonders except in a solitary and disinterested soul. End of quote. Well, that's a powerful one. That's a real test of our detachment. And St. John de Bania says, hey, here's, how to, here's the real test of whether or not you're detached. If you want something, and if not only that thing doesn't happen, but the very opposite of that thing happens. You're just as satisfied. You're just as content. Well, that then you know you're you're truly detached. So, if you're engaged to be married and your beloved breaks it off, well, I'm just as happy. Well, that that would be very very hard to do unless you're really really detached. Um, you want the promotion at work, but you actually get the pink slip. Uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. That, that that's true detachment, and and that takes a lot of maturity. Are we perfect at this? Absolutely not. But uh, we do have to be detached from from our own will, and only uh, be attached to what God wants, and that, that's that's a lot harder to do <laughs> than it sounds. So we need help. We absolutely need help in order to follow Jesus in that way, just like Bartimaeus did. All right. Well, I don't know what you think about this, but you're free to call in triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We got lots of goodies on the other side of the break, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888 is the number to call. We're going to get to your phone calls in just a second, but right now, got a little treat for you. So if you're on the line, please hang on. I'll get to you. 888 But producer Jim has got a special treat for you. It's the week that was on The Kale Clark Show. Here we go. The fourth thing that you need to know about St. Joan of Arc, she heard the voices of St. Michael the Archangel, St. Margaret of Antioch, and St. Catherine of Alexandria. Saints that gave her a message, spoke to her somehow, mystically. She encouraged soldiers to go to confession before battle. That's always a smart move. The great Mark Twain wrote a book, a very famous biography of St. Joan of Arc, and he said that it was his best book and his most favorite book of his. And this is what Joan said, and this is she's quoted in, in Mark Twain's book here, as God calls her, 
Quote, I am enlisted, I will not turn back, God helping me, till the English grip is loosed from the throat of France. End of quote. And so she just had this strong sense of God's call, and she never wavered. She just went for it. And that, that's, that's pretty impressive uh, in and of itself. In the Annunciation, when Gabriel talked to Mary and gave her her mission to be the mother of the Messiah, he gave her a little hint as well. He didn't tell her what to do necessarily, but he did say, hey, your relative Elizabeth is also in her sixth month, by the way. <laughs> he didn't say, go visit her, but I think Mary picked up on something there. Maybe the Holy Spirit uh, spoke something to her ab about that. What Andrew Donovan was saying here, that this, this whole idea of dropping in on people today. He said it's absurd to con even consider doing such a thing. Who, who does that? You, you got to give people at least fair notice, text them. Can I come by? And he said, you know, I, I kind of want this. I kind of want what my grandparents had. I don't know if you can relate to this. So let's go to Sarah in Richfield, Wisconsin. I love what you were reading. And I just had to call because that is exactly how my family is. I don't know if it's our Italian roots or if it's <laughs> just a big family thing, but all of my siblings live local. And so our kids are always, we're always stopping by each other's houses. Somebody's always at my mom's house. It's just a beautiful thing. On the afternoon of May 10th, he was he'd just come home from school and his sister was in the backyard who was eight years old and she was looking for mushrooms, their backyard backed onto a wooded area. And then all of a sudden he heard his sister screaming and he just kind of figured maybe she's playing with her friends. They said, no, no, there's something weird about this. So he looks out the window and there was a 17 year old kid who had grabbed his sister around the waist and he was trying to drag her into the woods, just horrifying. And so Owen immediately grabbed the only weapon that he could find, his $3 slingshot, a marble from his desk, and he fired it through the open window. And from 200 feet away, he hit this guy, this assailant, right between the eyes and, and just stunned him. He started to curse. And then Owen grabbed a rock from his room, again fired, hit him again. Unbelievable. I mean, this is, this is almost the length of a full football field away. Incredible. Owen's little sister ran away to safety. Eventually, the police were called and they caught this kid. How'd they know it was Hamill? He had a big welt right between the eyes. You can read about how St. Justin Martyr became a believer in Jesus Christ. In one of his most famous works, he really wrote three big works of apologetics. One of them is called The Dialogue with Trifo. And that's kind of in written format. It's kind of a back and forth. And Trifo was, was a Jewish person. He's trying to convince Trifo that Jesus is the Messiah. And in chapter seven and chapter eight of his dialogue with Trifo, he talks about his conversion. And Justin Martyr was a philosopher. He was all into all the latest and greatest philosophical ideas of the time. And he was walking along the beach and he met this mysterious old man on the beach who turned out to be a Christian. And he said he found from this guy the true philosophy that Jesus Christ is, and his teaching is really the true philosophy. And that was just an amazing story. So you can, you can read about that. Yeah, you can read about that. And you can also catch anything that you missed on the Kale Clark Show by going to the podcast on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. My thanks to producer Jim Shaper for pulling that all together. We talked about a lot of fun stuff. A modern day David with a slingshot. Unbelievable stories here on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's get to your phone calls right now, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Frank in Florham Park, New Jersey. Hi, Frank. How you doing, Kale? Doing well, doing well. Hi, Thanks uh, for calling can in. Can you hear me? 
Good. Yes, sure can. Hey, hey listen, uh, the, the story of the diagnosis of those kids mm. uh, really uh, touched a chord with me. Eleven years ago, my wife, who had just recently passed, was diagnosed with an incurable disease that slowly, slowly worked on her. Okay. So here we are. She knew it. I knew it. My adult daughters knew it. And uh, so we maximized what time we had. You know, we didn't know when she was going to go, mm. uh, how long she would live with it. And so we began, Mac, we, we traveled, we had family trips. And then in the last three years, right start of COVID, my daughter from Georgia moved back to the town next to us. My daughter from Massachusetts moved back. And they set up a schedule around the clock, helping Barbara do various things. You know, we had family get-togethers, we had holidays, uh, going out. And so I think it's, you know, people do know, you know, like those kids, that there's going to be a diagnosis and a result, mm -hmm. but you maximize, you do the best you can. And the irony of all of this is that these three daughters of mine are not, no longer practicing Catholics, but they showed mm -hmm. so much love. It was unbelievable. Oh. Oh, Frank, that's a that's that's a beautiful story, and I'm so sorry for your loss. May, may I ask what what the condition was that, that your wife had? Yeah, it's called the MSA, which is multiple system atrophy. It's mm -hmm. a cousin to Parkinson's, where the cerebral cortex gradually gets eaten up, and she she lost control of her walking, and then her you know her hands are shaking, so we helped her eat, you know, but her brain was fine. She remembered everything that we couldn't remember. We played games. Wow. So up until the day of her death, she was sharp as attack, but gradually lost her functional mobility and so forth. Yeah, and it's, it sounds a little bit like what happens to people who have ALS when they, they know what's going on and they gradually, uh, uh, their body just deteriorates. And, and so, uh, you know, obviously your, your daughters have very beautiful human qualities, and, and I'll, we'll certainly pray, and I'll pray for them to, to come to back home to the church and and I just love that story about how you seize the present moment and and live that time uh, to the fullest with your wife and uh, with your daughters as well and and that, that's a beautiful beautiful story Frank thank you so much for calling in God bless you this is the Kale Clark show on relevant radio triple eight nine one four nine one four nine and yeah if you missed it early in the program I talked about a family where there are four children three of the four have a disease called retinitis pigmentosa which will they will go blind eventually. And so the parents wanted them to see the world while, while they still could and tried to maximize that time. Let's go now to line two, Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Kale. Can you hear me all right? Uh, yes, yeah, sure can. You're on the air. First of all, happy birthday. I have a Thank birthday you. quote for you, as Mark Twain would say. Uh, age is mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I like that. I love that. Love, love the, the ever-quotable like Mark Twain. I love it. That's right. And there's life after 50, I can tell you. <laughs> anyway, uh, I will, I'm pleased to tell you about uh, two priests that I know, retinal pigmentosa. Thank you so much for bringing that to light. As a registered nurse, I had never heard of it before until I met the two of them. One um, was an older man when he retired to San Diego, Father Richard Hopkins. He was one of five brothers. Mm -hmm. All of them in Billings, Montana had it. Everyone in their family had it. They were studied by UCLA uh, as part of a research project doing genetic testing. Uh, Father Richard did never let it stop him. He traveled the world. 
um, in fact, his brother joined an RP group in San Diego and met up with a fellow. Those two contacted the Lions groups, and they traveled through South America with white canes right up to Machu Picchu. Every time they got to a town, the Lions Lions organization welcomed them like celebrities. (laughs) And Father Rich never let this stop. In fact, it in some ways enhanced his ministry. He was working in San Diego with in our parish, well up until he was 97 years old, still sharp as a tack. Father Richard started to lose it quickly at 50, his eyesight, and then he Mm -hmm. developed the problems that all of us develop with cataracts, macro degeneration. So then the RP really kicked in. So I was doing a lot of driving for him. Um, His idea of a good time was a double feature movie, which was a challenge getting him into a theater. But nonetheless... um, the uh, he looked for creative ways. He took his homilies and was typing out his homilies in a booklet because he was a reporter well before, um, loved to interview people well before the seminary. So mm-hmm. once he couldn't type any longer, he contacted uh, the Braille Institute in San Diego, which I wanted to mention wow. to your list. They have an, a wonderful course, how to cook, um, how to read a newspaper with a magnification lamp that mm-hmm. hovers over your newspaper and promote and, and you get a zoom picture on a screen. Um, and then once that deteriorated, I had suggested to him cassette tapes for his homilies. Well, he, and then he said, Oh no, I'm going to do CDs. So he put out several versions of CDs and the people in the parish loved it. He loved visiting people at home when wow. he couldn't do that. His, his CDs went, I said, you're going to be the next Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, <laughs> and, and it never stopped him. And he saw it as a plus for his faith, uh, really mm. as close to a saint as I'll ever meet. Wow, Joanne, um, that, that's a that's also, a beautiful story. I just got to jump in there. But I, I thank you for mentioning all, all those anecdotes about Father Richard and and also Father Robert Spitzer. And I, I, I hadn't realized that, that he, in fact, uh, I knew that his eyesight uh, was uh, deteriorating quite rapidly, and and um, I'm not sure how much uh, he's able to see even at this moment. But uh, he's a frequent guest on Relevant Radio. But uh, Father Robert Spitzer from the Magis Institute, uh, uh, formerly, of course, uh, the president of Gonzaga University, and, and just an incredible intellect and incredible man of faith. And um, uh, he has suffered from this as well. And it's got to be a real cross, especially for a scholar who. Uh, loves to read and, and research, and so we continue to pray for him. And yeah, it's it's something that um, is a great blessing that that God gives to us the the gift of sight, and uh, uh, and so many uh, don't have that privilege. And uh, and it's yeah, it's 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 just it's 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 great to hear that story about Father Richard about how he was able to still grow spiritually, and and um, and he didn't give up. He he just kept 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 moving on and trying to be as useful as he possibly could and, and understanding that life has changed. It's, it's not ended, but it's, it's going to be different going forward. And, and that's what, exactly what the, the parents of these four children said, that um, uh, they just had to accept this new reality and, and, and the lessons that are, that are inherent in it. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's go now to Paul in Youngstown, Ohio. Hi, Paul. Hi, Kale. Hey, Hi. good to hear from question. you. Oh, thank you. Uh, now that you're 50 years old, uh-huh. I was wondering what biblical figure you would be closest to. Uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking, would it be Adam, Noah, Methuselah, Simeon, Nicodemus? <laughs> Who would it be? 
That that as as a great question, you know, uh, I I don't know. It's certainly those those lifespans and in, uh, in Genesis, they are they are wild. And uh, but I will say this: at the age of fifty, uh, the the one thing that that keeps uh, sticking out in my mind is that, and, and I've said this before: the high priest Caiaphas, you know, the guy who condemned Jesus, he was maybe fifty years old. Lifespans in the first century in Rome and Palestine weren't that long in, in general, so. In a lot of movies about Jesus of Nazareth, you see this guy is a guy with a long white beard. Probably wasn't that old. He was maybe 50 years old. So uh, lifespans, like I said, were... were, And that's why St. Joseph, too. You think about St. Joseph, and um, he probably, you know, he probably was had passed away by the time Jesus had begun his earthly ministry. In all likelihood, we don't hear about him anymore uh, once Jesus begins that ministry. But... Uh, it's a beautiful tradition in the church that, of course, when he passed away at his bedside, Jesus, Our Lady, uh, would have been there and uh, wakes up in eternity. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he probably would have wouldn't have been that old either. And um, I don't know. In terms of, I, I still feel like a, a spiritual child. You know, I, I tell you, I've got a lot to learn, and uh, and hopefully, I've got uh, enough road ahead of me to to, to learn those lessons well. But I, I appreciate that call, Paul, and the and the birthday. Uh, wishes so lots of great stuff lots of great stuff coming up next week on the kale clark show and on the faith explained program too we continue with our series on the holy spirit a beginner's guide and uh, you're not going to want to miss this how do we how can we set ourselves up to receive these inspirations from the spirit which are so crucial to us saint paul says it's really the default position of the catholic christian those who are led by the spirit of god are children of god so natural for St. Paul. How can it be for us? You're not going to want to miss that. And you're not going to want to miss what's coming up later tonight on Relevant Radio. Of course, Timory's coming up after this show. And the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky and Maggie, who's back. Maggie Carosa, who's back from her honeymoon in Rome. We'll have to have Maggie on to talk about that. Lots of people from Relevant Radio on honeymoon in Rome right now. Uh, Nick and Olivia. Nick Senevich, uh, the producer of The Inner Life, Father Simon Says. Uh, he is in Rome right now. Hey, they probably passed each other in the airport. Who knows? But the eternal city, and that's really where the heart of our faith is. Thanks for joining me today on the Kale Clark Show. And all this week, Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alock took your phone calls. Have a blessed weekend, everybody. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>